When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Hey everybody, it's Matthew Collar here. We're talking Vikings football five days a week on Purple Daily, available on Apple, Spotify, and the Score North app, or wherever you find your podcasts. And look, if you're tight on time right now and you can only listen to one segment from today's show, here it is. Matthew Collar, Jonathan Harrison producing, joining us now. Dr. Eric Eager for Pro Football Focus, who is going to use his uh, old school doctoring skills of breaking down a game from 2002. What's up, Eric? Hey, Matthew. Uh, it was a fun uh, blast from the past to watch this game you know, over again. Yeah, you know what? I've focused a lot on things that have happened in the 90s and really haven't gotten into very often on this show, if ever, the Dante Culpepper era. And so I stumbled across one of the best games he ever played as a Minnesota Viking, which is ironic because they advanced to 4-10 and with a big upset in 2002 over the New Orleans Saints, 32-31. to But Culpepper was so good in this game that I wanted to talk about it. And, of course, any game that ends with Randy Moss with 11 catches, including a game-winning touchdown, is also worth discussing. So let me just start here. This game is Dante Culpepper and Aaron Brooks, two guys that I think, Eric, at the time we would have said, oh man, they're going to be dueling it out in the NFC for a really long time. Like, It's sort of sad that both Dante Culpepper and Aaron Brooks never really had their careers come to fruition for what we thought they could be in 2002. Yeah, I think if you look at Brooks's career, uh, it was a really bad beat because in 2004, they missed the playoffs uh, against the Vikings. They lost the tiebreaker to Minnesota, and Brooks was great. I think he had something like 24 touchdowns, seven picks. Hurricane Katrina happens. They have to play the season in, like, San Antonio and LSU, and he struggles, and then they go with uh, Drew Brees the following year, and his career is never the same, so... Both guys, and of course, in the 05, Culpepper tore up his knee. So both guys sort of uh, bad beats, uh, despite being, I think, pretty good quarterback prospects as of 2002. What's fascinating about Culpepper, I mean, a, a few things, and I haven't watched a Dante Culpepper game in such a long time that things just pop out to you differently when you haven't watched someone play in forever. And Dante Culpepper's first two steps when he would take off are as fast as anybody that ever played quarterback in the NFL, I swear. I mean, like his top speed was not as fast as someone like Randall Cunningham. But when he decided he was going to run, it, it he got up to full speed really quickly. And in this game, he runs for 73 yards. He scores two rushing touchdowns, he scores the two-point conversion to win the game. And for a guy that was such a house, I would have hated to have him running at me if I was even a linebacker. 
Yeah, I, I think even from his first start in 2000 against Chicago, he had three rushing touchdowns in that game. Like, it was just one of those where, yeah, I mean, he would go, he would like go on the sideline and just deliver blows to defensive backs. And it, he was just an absolute terror to bring down. And the, the best part was the plays were never over because he could always just, he was Ben Roethlisberger like in the ability to just like break tackles in the pocket. And then, as you said, unlike any quarterback probably we've seen maybe before Cam Newton, that when he's out in the middle of the field, it's like tackling a fullback or tight end. Yeah, and uh, there's a play early in this game where they hand off, and I think it's a reverse, actually, to Randy Moss, and Dante Culpepper is sort of standing out there and then decides, like, oh, I should go see if I could block someone, and a safety moves out of his way as he's running down to to block. There there have been very few, if any, quarterbacks in NFL history where a safety would be like, nah, I don't want any part of that quarterback. But the the interesting thing here about Culpepper is, and I don't really have a good feel for this. You probably do better than me. Is he starts off his career unbelievably well in 2000. And Sage Rosenfels and I were just talking about guys who have amazing starts to their career and then never really come to fruition. But by 2002, I would imagine that Vikings fans were wondering what the deal was going to be with this guy because he had 23 picks, only 18 touchdowns that year, really struggled. You don't see any struggles in this game. In this game, he's amazing. 26 for 36, 300 yards, four total touchdowns. Like, what happened with Dante where he was never able to repeat that 2000 until the 2004 season where he is absolutely mind-blowing? Yeah, I mean, the the tricky part was he started off so well and they had Moss and Carter, and I think this this sort of shows sheds light on you know some of the discussions we've been having should the Vikings you know uh, draft the wide receiver or not and in 01 Carter was clearly cooked so you know they they kind of only had Moss and then 02 it sort of hit another wall where their second receiver was some combination of Dwayne Bates and Kelly Campbell which is just not good enough and there were some games where Moss could elevate himself like he did in this game but in many times, they just simply didn't have a second option in the passing game, and Dante really struggled. So, you know, at the end of 2002, they gave him an extension, which I think was warranted. But a lot of Vikings fans were scratching their heads. He was benched in a game in, you know, in 2002 for Todd Bauman for ineffective play. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's kind of crazy. But I do remember that. I feel like I was watching that game. And then, you know, he eventually in 04 has that great season, but they still only go 8-8. Eight and eight, And ultimately, I yep. think he was thought of as being disappointing. Um, but let me go back to this game. So they get ahead 14 to 3. Special teams kick return for touchdown, you know, not so effective by Michael Lewis, who is the tiniest person. And here's another observation from this game and about Gary Anderson. I forgot he did this. When Gary Anderson knew he made it, he just ran off the field before it even went in. Do you remember this? Yeah. He would kick it and then he would just sprint off. 41 yarder. I am 100% for this, <clears throat> except for another time in Viking history. <laughs> but like, it was so, it was so great to see Gary because by 2002, how many kickers ever have an epic meltdown like that? And then are still on the team four years later and joyfully booting one through and sprinting off the field. So I, I enjoyed that about Gary Anderson in this game. Yeah, I think earlier in that 2 season, you know, Doug Bryan missed two PATs in the same game. And the NFL film shows Mike Tice walking over to Gary's honor and saying, hey, call Gary on Tuesday. <laughs> and it's sort of one of those where they kept bringing him back and, you know, they had, you know, they, they, he'd never kick off. So they'd always have to keep a second kicker, uh, to kick off in his stead. Uh, but, but he would, yeah, he was pretty good at field goals and he even played a few years after that for Tennessee. So he was kind of a remarkable career as, 
you know, many Vikings fans feel him, you know, feel of him negatively, but he was quite a good kicker for the Vikings. So Moss in this game is worth talking about because it, it's just incredible. Like you said, the, the, nobody else on this team was a threat. Kelly Campbell has two receptions. Dwayne Bates, Byron Chamberlain has the next most receptions on the team in this game. Uh, on uh, let's see, what was it? December. I'll get the date for you. December fifteenth, two thousand two, with um, the Vikings and Saints. So he ends up with eleven catches. And my favorite part of the game, and something that should go down in all time Vikings history, is just one of the coolest things. Is the game goes back and forth. Deuce McAllister scores a touchdown, and the Vikings have a chance to drive down and win the game. And so they've got it inside the twenty yard line, and with the clock ticking off, fifteen ten seconds left. Culpepper decides he's only throwing to Randy Moss. And the, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the Saints know he's only throwing to Randy Moss. And they have two guys on him for three straight plays. The first two are close. The third one, Moss just jumps over two people and catches a touchdown. Yeah. It's just like one of those classic, like, I'm going to beat you. Like, if Michael Jordan lines up one-on-one with somebody, it does not matter how well you defend this. Randy Moss is scoring this touchdown. Yeah, and I think it was over former Viking Dale Carter, who was quite a good corner in his own right, but at the end of his career. And another funny part of that game was Dale Carter's brother, Jake Reed, a former Viking great, also caught a touchdown as the Saints' fourth receiver. So it's just like a really fun, like, uh, you know, blast from the past there, uh, you know, with, with names. And, yeah, as you said, this, this was the Randy ratio year where Tice basically showed his hand in the offseason and said 40% of the targets are going to Moss. And he sure lived up to it in this game. <laughs> and then uh, my favorite part of the game, aside from that, is Culpepper fumbles the snap on going for the two-point conversion, which, much respect, we would have loved this on Twitter in 2002 if the head coach decided, I'm 4-9, and nine, so I might as well just go for two and try to end this game instead of trying to play for overtime with the New Orleans Saints here. The snap is fumbled. Dante Culpepper runs it in. And then one of the offensive linemen in his exuberant for the victory tries to pick up Dante Culpepper and immediately gives up. Like, yeah, we won. Like, oh, oh no, this isn't no, this isn't Kirk Cousins I'm picking up or or Todd Bauman. This is this is a, a house of a human being. And, and so just that little funny moment there that you catch when you watch old games that you would have never remembered. Yeah, and it was the Vikings, I believe their first road win uh since I believe Thanksgiving of two thousand. So it ended up being like, you know, they, they went 5-11, and 0-8 on the road in, in 01. They hadn't won a road game in 02. Uh, and so it was a very, like, exuberant feeling. Mike Tyson's first road win as the Vikings uh, head coach. <laughs> it doesn't get any more exciting than that. Uh, can we talk a little bit more about just with Culpepper's career ending the way it did? What do you think would have happened if it didn't? I mean, if Culpepper continued to be the Vikings quarterback through that era because – you know, they, they rebuild the team up to the point where it got to in 2009. And maybe if he continues to be the quarterback instead of Favre, that's him that year being that successful. Yeah. Or maybe it's not. I mean, it's to me, it's it was always hard to pin down whether Dante Culpepper was actually a good quarterback or not. Because there are some points in this game where you totally see some of the problems. He would run backwards and get sacked for massive losses. And he yeah. was getting sacked 40, 47, 46 times every year. And the fumble thing was real. And, and I could never decide, even back then, whether I thought he was actually good. Well, and I think a lot of Vikings fans view him negatively because of what happened in 05, which was, you know, the Vikings 
in 04, Dante, probably the league MVP if you take out Peyton Manning. But then they, tr- you know, and, and in that year, Randy Moss missed five games and he was still good. So they trade Moss to Oakland. They go into the next year with Burleson as their number one, Marcus Robinson, Travis Taylor, and, and Dante's lost. He throws six touchdowns, 12 picks, isn't very good. They start two and five. Brad Johnson takes over after the ACL, I think goes seven and two or something like that. Brad Johnson always wins. Yeah. And so, and that team almost made the playoffs. They were nine and seven, which is better than the year they, that Dante, you know, in 04 went eight and eight. So I think that's part of the reason it is interesting because he did really struggle once the defenses didn't have to worry about Moss in 05. Yeah, no, for sure. And I guess I always would have wondered if they had restocked the cupboard there and eventually you get Adrian Peterson on that team, if that becomes Mm -hmm. a duo that is so dangerous and you could have done so many fun things, but then his knee collapses and he's never the same. I had forgotten that he had a stint with the Oakland Raiders where he went 2-4 and as a starter. I had no recollection of that whatsoever. Um, A couple other just great players from this game in 2002 uh back when defenses were not defenses for the vikings um you know greg beekert was on this team he was a former yeah, oakland yeah. raider lance johnstone i think also was a former oakland raider chris hovan yeah. was a good player i mean this is this is not what we've come to expect for the defenses of the minnesota vikings yeah the vikings were so bad defensively that year that tice basically said that the only player that was going to start for sure in 02 was, was Hovind, who was the number one pick in 2000. They were so bad, they signed Andre Crockett to play line, middle linebacker, and Beekert was cut by the Oakland Raiders for Napoleon Harris, who ended up on Minnesota like three years later, which is still funny. <laughs> and they, they signed Beekert and started him week one at middle linebacker. That's how bad that they were. And then he ended up being, I think, he had like four interceptions. I mean, he had like a Jack Del Rio type year in 02, uh, and it was a player that the Vikings didn't even go into training camp with. So that's how bad the defense was. Uh, trying to think of the other guys that played their former gopher Tyrone Carter was on the team as well. So just kind of a really ratty group of defensive players who didn't put Dante in a great position to win much. All right, Eric, this has been fun. Tell me if there's anything else that you thought of while watching this game that you wanted to bring up. Uh, I I just thought it was really funny how, again, we've had this discussion about the Vikings and how – you know, offensive line matters and all this kind of stuff and versus, you know, wide receiver and who should they, you know, target in the draft. And you watch this game and the Vikings offensive line is terrific. Brian McKinney's the number one pick. Matt Burke's a pro bowler, might even be a Hall of Famer. Moss is one of the best receivers in the game, not, you know, not unlike Adam Thielen. And since they didn't have a number two, they slogged their way through the year. So I think where you look at this from a Vikings fan's perspective, it's really key for them to get a number two and number three receiver uh, because the number one isn't, isn't enough these days. So I wrote on our website today the counterpoint for that. Now, my ultimate conclusion is I agree with you um, that going into the year with Adam Thielen is a pretty tough task, and especially if Thielen even misses three or four games, who the hell is playing if you don't draft a, a top receiver? So I agree with that. Yep. If If they don't, though, you do have the opportunity to spend a couple first-round picks potentially on – I mean, you know, whoever you want, like a couple of corners. I I don't think it's crazy to look at it and say, maybe draft two third-round receivers or a third and a fourth and see if somebody steps up the way Stephon Diggs in 2015 did and draft two cornerbacks because those are almost as valuable in terms of your your positional rankings. Yep, and I, yeah, that's, 
and, and the, the issue with the Vikings is they have so many needs, right? So they almost can't go wrong in terms of filling holes with their first-round picks because they need corners, they need defensive linemen, they need offensive linemen and wide receivers. So uh, I get your point there. Uh, another one that popped into my mind, though, sort of as an anecdote for this entire thing, is the 09 Vikings with Sidney Rice. You know, Sidney Rice was, I think, prior to Diggs and Thielen, their last 1,300-yard receiver. He gets hurt in the NFC Championship game, doesn't play until midway through 2010, and they lose 12 points per game. Basically the same defense, same offense. Brett Favre comes back, and it's just that, you know, receiver, receiver depth, so important to a team that, you know, if, if your guys can win in under two and a half seconds, makes your offensive line uh, that much better because they don't have to protect for that long. The thing I'm thinking about, though, with going into this draft is just the recent first-round draft picks at wide receiver. It has just been a bust festival over the last few years. I mean, you get a couple of guys yep. that, are, that are really great, of course, but Stephon Diggs' year it's him and Amari Cooper and then everybody else, yeah, pretty pretty meh in there. And last year you get a couple of guys who are pretty exciting. Terry McLaurin, I think, will be a very good player eventually. Um, but aside from that, it seems to be really hard to pin down in college football these days who's a good college-wide receiver that will translate to the NFL. Yeah, and I think sometimes it's because, you know, these teams ask these receivers to do everything, right? And it's very rare in a draft pick that you're going to get Cooper who can play inside outside can run all the routes. You get a guy like Michael Thomas who can kind of do everything. I think if you have an offense that, you know, requires different things of different receivers, you can sort of platoon them in a way like baseball teams platoon, you know, righties versus lefties and all that kind of stuff. And I think that that's why throwing numbers at the problem. That's why getting guys with good pedigree in there. Uh, I think it's really important for them because I agree with you. I think if they, identify one wide receiver they really like, a la Troy Williamson in 05, <laughs> and they say, this guy's got to be the guy, the failure rate's going to be high. Yeah. But if they say, the, we, out of these three guys we drafted, I need one or two of them to be good, I think there's a lot higher chance for that to happen, and I think that's kind of what they have to do. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, Eric, before I let you go, Sage and I were having a discussion in our last segment about uh, Hall of Fame quarterbacks and who will ultimately get there and who won't and who are locks and things like that. And uh, we both selected extreme long shots or, or long shot quarterbacks who could totally shock us and someday become Hall of Famers. I picked Ryan Tannehill uh, just because, you know, I mean, he already had a great year and whatever. If we're talking about long shots, he wouldn't be the first guy ever to start his career off badly and then become Drew great. Brees. Yeah, exactly. Drew right, Brees right. Drew Brees, Brees, Steve Young, Steve Young also like terrible with Tampa Bay and then ultimately one of the best ever. Give me a long shot. Do you have one? Oh, that's a great one. I, I think you have to go into some of these te- young guys who haven't shown us much. So I think maybe somebody like Sam Darnold. Yeah, okay, that's a good one. Uh, Dr- yeah. Drew Locke or something. Like, I wouldn't bet on Drew Locke, but, you know, I mean, if you're picking it, somebody, he's a long shot. I mean, Eli Manning looked horrible his rookie year and his second year, and he'll probably make the Hall of Fame. I know Sage probably believes he should go in because he played with him and has a lot of good things to say about him. But, you know, I... <clears throat> circumstances matter a lot. Even look at Russell Wilson, who is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Early in his career, he was considered a caretaker. And now he holds that team on his back. So 
there's so much that happens in those first two years, and not all of them can be Pat Mahomes right away. Are Jared Goff and Jimmy Garoppolo long shots? I mean, I feel like they would be still, that even though both of them have a Super Bowl appearance and loss, there's so many guys who have gotten to the Super Bowl and then they never get back. We kind of see them as they bounce around a little bit or they have good years and bad years. I feel like if someone said that would be their guy that would be an extreme long shot, then I would tend to agree with that. Yeah, and I don't think that they have a chance in the sense that, you know, Jimmy G reminds me a lot of Brad Johnson, a guy who was sort of a backup for a while, uh, you know, played, and then when he played, he was impressive, but you ultimately, after seeing him start enough games, you saw his limitations. Uh, the problem with Goff is that as the number one pick and, make, and sending a team to the Super Bowl in year three, I think his expectations are too high. And so his, the perception of him as he sort of fails to meet them over the course of the next few years, it, it's going to keep him from having a positive, being put in a positive light. Uh, whereas a guy like Darnold, we're all sort of low on him right now because he's struggled. Mm-hmm. If he shows any signs, we're going to view him positively over the next 10 years or so. Right, and he, he has an extremely high ceiling if it ends up working out. I also have one more hot take on this, is that because of a 17-game season and the nature of passing statistics, eventually I think the only thing that's going to matter is kind of like what you won as a quarterback, which I know is the last way that you guys at PFF want to analyze uh, your quarterbacks. You know, you grade every single throw and everything else, but if you're looking at Matt Stafford is going to have 50 bazillion yards or whatever it's going to be, that he'll set all sorts of passing records, but he's a really tough sell for the Hall of Fame for me. I could totally see Garoppolo or Jared Goff or, or guys being like that that put up huge, huge numbers and break records and everything else, but we go... Eh, never really won anything, so it's hard to put you in over these other guys who did win a lot. Yeah, I, that's not a bad take at all. Even if you look at Eli, Eli's career transcended like three eras of statistical football at the position, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. everybody that likes him is like, hey, look, he had 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns this year, and he's got like a 70 PFF grade because he's not very, you know, he just threw a lot, and they were behind a lot. You know, there's Kirk Cousins is the obvious example in Minnesota where, you know, his numbers look terrific, but you have to look at sort of what the era is and what he's asked to do and so forth. So I agree with you. Uh, you know, it, there's going to, I don't know, I think of a guy like Matt Ryan, right? He's probably on the cusp of being an elite quarterback, maybe a Hall of Fame quarterback, but ultimately, like, do we think he's a Hall of Famer if he can't come into U.S. Bank Stadium on opening day and put up more <laughs> than 14 points? I don't know. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, that, you know what I'm saying. He, he is a hard, he is a hard one to figure out for me because he's got some great seasons. But you look over the whole thing and you go, when did I ever think Matt Ryan was the best quarterback in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, he won it. Yeah, it's sort of like Newton as well. Like they're they're good enough to win an MVP one year, but and and that Atlanta offense in 16 is probably the scariest I've seen aside from these Chiefs offenses lately. But at the same time, like you know. Currently, the Atlanta Falcons are not a team I'm going to bet on to make the playoffs. And is that really a quarterback that's deserving of the Hall of Fame? Right. You look back and all the other Hall of Fame quarterbacks, Marino, Aikman, uh, Young, all their teams made the playoffs like six straight years. Warren Moon, right. even, right? Yeah. He couldn't win in the playoffs. But it's like, that's kind of, I mean, I'm not a, a QB wins guy, but I think for a huge sample, it does correlate pretty well with quarterback play, and that and that's kind of something that you know I think people will lean on a little bit, you know, in the future. Well, Eric, this was really fun. I hope I took you through whatever walk you were on. Were you like uh, under the bridge practicing on the Cincinnati Bengals field or what? 
Well, so I, you know, we were only allowed to go out in Ohio to take like to exercise. And my house currently has like my two daughters doing school and my wife teaching them. Ah, okay. So I feel like this, this would have been even less, this is was even less of a distraction <laughs> than my house, my house would have been. No, sound wise, it was fine, but I just felt like uh, maybe you were getting winded at one point. There was a couple times, but you know, that, that's mostly <laughs> just because I get, I, you know, I get excited talking about football. Yeah, you know, well, I get, you know, I short, of shortness of breath. You yeah, know? not not only that, but you don't have the Cincy Y open at this point, too. And anybody who listens to the PFF forecast knows the tales from the Cincy Y. So, uh, Eric, well, this was super fun, and I hope that we can do these uh, now and then when we'll have the chance. And without OTAs and things like that, uh, I think as we go forward, we will, to just pick a random game from the past and have fun looking over it. So thanks for coming on, man, as always. Yeah, take care. Have a good one. Yep, Eric Eager there. You can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Eric. And I really can't tell you enough about the PFF forecast podcast. It's really good. I, I Every time I go out for a jog or whatever, I'm listening to it. Him and George Shahuri, they do a tremendous, tremendous job. And I steal their takes. So let's uh, take a break. We'll come back. Judd Zolgad's going to pop in. And I've got a few things left that I wrote down today. Uh, I, just a bunch of kind of random thoughts that were on my mind. One of them was about Sean Taylor, and I want to ask Judd about that when we return here on Purple Daily. Minnesota sports fans, we know you're doing your best to stay home, and we're here for you at Score North through every step of the way of the way through the coronavirus pandemic. Got something to say about Minnesota sports? Want to tell us why we're wrong, perhaps? Leave us a mic drop message on the free Score North app. You may even hear yourself on Score North on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, or the free Score North mobile app. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.